When I was 10 years old, my mom traveled on and off for business, and we had an older woman who was hired to watch me and my sister. I lived in a neighborhood where there were lots of Jewish folks, and I counted many of them as my friends. The woman who stayed with us was a devout Christian, and she told me to pray for my Jewish friends because she wanted to make sure that they got to heaven. When you're 10, that's some heavy stuff. It's the kind of stuff that grows up Christian armies that cross overseas to engage tribal villages and bring them Jesus, or just sends them out in the neighborhood to express concerns and offer instructions about what could be done to ensure their future with God. I'm grateful for a mom who immediately corrected this. We don't believe that. Uh, Jesus was Jewish, she says. The Synoptic Gospels, they have the Great Commission in Matthew, chapter 28, but here in chapter 3 of John, the Gospels author is proclaiming why the Great Commission matters. It isn't simply about going out, making disciples of all the nations, baptizing them and bringing them to follow the commands of Jesus. John 3 pins these actions that would take place in the Great Commission on eternal life on the salvation of those who claim the Christian faith. It is texts like John 3 that lead the sweet little old lady to worry about my friends and urge me to pray for them. This stems from a central belief that eternal life is a place we go upon our death and salvation is what assures our presence there. I'm fascinated by the binary it creates where you can believe and still find yourself far from the ways of the one we follow. For the path in ministry of Jesus was not simply about where we are going upon our death, but just as importantly, the road we travel in our living. I suspect that there are many opinions about this text from John, some who see this as the fundamental scripture for Christian faith, others that see the catastrophic damage that has been done with it to so many good people. We have lived through a period of Christendom where people can believe in Jesus without changing a thing, a lyric progressive Christian singer Brian Sergio wrote. The distance between those who believe and the ways of Jesus can seem ever wider in the face of so much injustice. Perhaps you've seen the signs while you were driving along the highway. For, says the first one, God says the second one, so the third one continues, and on and on until the most important verse in all of the Bible has been proclaimed in red painted letters as if Jesus spoke the words himself, something that most scholars disagree with, even though the words are attributed to Jesus. It's a beautiful verse with a powerful and deep meaning. It has also proven deeply divisive and used to draw boundaries between those who are in and those who are out in the Christian faith. While I appreciate the incredible testimony of this early Christian community from which John writes, I have to confess that there is still a bitter side of me from early in my faith journey. In those times, I wrestled endlessly to understand the Gospel of John, and I found as much of it to loathe as I did love, sometimes in the very same passage. Much like most everyone, no one ever provided a context or understanding for John in which I could more completely receive its gifts in spite of its limitations. 
Theologian Marilyn Salmon from United Theological Seminary points out that in the Gospel of John, we witness sharp divisions between believers and non-believers, saved and condemned, people who love darkness rather than light, do evil and not good. These divisions have deep meanings in the community in which John lived and wrote because they faced deep persecution. They were a minority. Being a Christian in the Gospel of John was not like being a Christian in, say, the Bible Belt, an exit down the road from Billy Graham's The Cove. <laughs> Solomon points out that as a small minority, the Johannine community did not have the power or the influence to marginalize others or cause harm by excluding them. They used language that proclaimed the truth of their existence and their uniqueness because it was necessary. To put that in today's world, think about white people suggesting that Black Lives Matter is a racist and a problem. You simply can't look at the imbalance of the oppressed and the privileged and fairly suggest that the problem is people of color proclaiming their value. It's a falsehood and it fails to see the bigger picture. In much the same way, the people in John, in John's world, they were staking a claim regarding their position in a world that did not see them. So as we look at the text, we must realize that bigger picture and the evolving place of the Christian faith, particularly in our nation and the time. Salmon reminds us, in the Western world, Christianity has been the dominant religion for centuries, whether supported by the state or not, and it has the power to marginalize and exclude those who do not conform. It can be dangerous, and it has been. And in this passage in the Gospel of John, it has often been the root of the problem. Are you saved becomes the question, not do you follow Jesus, as the Great Commission proclaimed? It creates the line of in and out and removes the focus from the road we walk together in the steps of the one we follow. As a chaplain in the hospital in the South, I would sometimes be asked upon entering a room, are you saved? A preliminary requirement to receive my prayers or support. Sometimes they might ask, are you born again? And my heart would hurt thinking about how much these questions gave them comfort while stealing from them the opportunity to be connected to the God that works through me. There's a distinct understanding of the Christian faith that is manipulated with this passage, one that many of us are distinctly familiar with. It comes from a tradition that puts a premium on certitude and the finish line. It has harmed and hurt many, particularly outside of the Christian faith. As a preacher, there's a temptation to avoid this gospel because of this. But theologian Raymond Brown warns us, it's John's style to say things that border on the offensive. So be puzzled and even offended. But do not silence this Jesus by deciding what he should not have said and what your hearers should not hear. It's important that what I do say is that it's not required that you hear this passage from John and begin drawing lines about those who are in and those who are out. Those who follow Jesus should not live in the black and white, the either or of John's gospel, because that characteristic of John was highly contextual and often directly conflicts with the message of love and grace at the heart of the gospel. Think breaking purity laws and healing on the Sabbath. 
Can we imagine that it is possible that a religious community only got it partially right? Can we imagine that communication captures important contextual factors in time and place? That is what we have with the Gospel of John. Well, today's text uses the language of born from above, and other translations use born anew or born again. Marcus Borg believes the language of language of born from the spirit is actually a better translation. It more accurately captures the intention of the story. In fact, three times in the text, Jesus emphasizes that to be born anew or born from above is to be born from the spirit. Board suggests that the metaphor of rebirth, rebirth, being born of the Spirit, is an image of radical transformation. An old life has been left behind, and a new life has begun. But that's not a one-time event. It's the ongoing work of our Christian faith, and any suggestion that it can be accomplished once sets us up for failure. How often have you heard a born-again preacher be judgmental or unkind? How often is that language used to determine who is in and who is out? The thing is, with God, there is no out. Everyone is in, and everyone is offered the opportunity to be born anew. Every moment, that choice is before us. The people gathering at Bible study, they are exploring the text, stretching their understandings of God and the scripture. The folks who are caucusing for Lent are acknowledging that race work is ours to do in this moment. We must transform if we hope for the world to. Those who show up for the universal Christ that will start today and expand their understanding of scripture and our Christian claims, the ones who write devotionals for Lent, our Sunday school teachers, our youth, your presence here, it is about transformation. It is about you being born anew all the time. How are you being born anew and seeking the possibility of that rebirth? That question, are you saved? It's wrapped up in a single moment, or many single moments, when you answered the call and accepted Jesus into your heart. It's an entryway to being born into the Spirit, but it plays out in your everyday choices to change and to be changed, to seek transformation and commit to the change God makes possible and needs from you. When we refuse to change, we risk a death of the Spirit. The posture of change, it isn't easy, and it can be painful, as birth often is, but to minimize the power of the text and the power of Christ to a moment is to be subject to an understanding of God that changes very little in us and the world. Nicodemus, he was a religious leader. He came in the dark of night because it likely wasn't safe to be with Jesus. He had a hunch that this waymaker named Jesus was something special. That what Jesus made possible had to be born by God. I know that life and death, they are serious matters. Our work is to transcend their powerful pull to live in the space of eternal life, that time and that place from before we were born, through our living and into our dying. It holds the ongoing moments of our rebirth and the salvation that is ever before us. 
In Richard Rohr's daily meditation, he spoke to the dream of an unshakable peace of mind. We are easily convinced that peace comes from stillness and that when things are being shaken up, we cannot find it. But peace transcends the shaking up times. That is the hallmark of how the spirit works in the world. In those hospital rooms, I often deeply wanted to provide a long theological explanation (laughs) that unpacked their question and affirmed the truth that Jesus has saved me and continues to save me. But not that one time back then, every moment of every day when we live born in the Spirit. In those moments, I wanted deeply to invite people into that journey because the world needs ever more people walking the way. May it be true for all of us and may we live with an unshakable peace through it all. Amen.